0: WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa online at Let's Talk or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: James says greet these trials as friends, but you only greet them as friends in the sense of what they're gonna do for you. And we'll look at that later. Not in the sense that you say trials are wonderful. Nobody thinks that. It's what they do for you that's wonderful. But look at this. Even though now For a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. God has not made and will not make the Christian life easy. It's tough. It's difficult. And don't believe it when people tell you that you shouldn't go through trials, that everything is just one emotional great experience, nothing could be greater. You know, when people greet me, if things are going real well, and they say, how are you? Usually people greet you and don't listen to what you have to say. If they do, and they say, how are you? And they stand there long enough, and I do the same thing at times, and say, how are you? If things aren't going great, I don't say great. I say okay. And that way, my conscience is clear before God, because okay can mean a number of things. Nobody knows what okay means. So I just say that. But he says that you have been distressed, if necessary, by various trials.
2: are a reality of the Christian life. But there are some interesting things about the trials, and we are going to learn about those in today's Verse by Verse. I'm so glad you could join us today for the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff, taken from 1 Peter 1, verses 6-9. through Pastor Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And if you would like more information about Lakeside, please visit lakesidechapel.com. In the book of 1 Peter, the author is teaching us how to handle trials, but he also has reminded us that we can rejoice. Not in trials, but we can rejoice in our... Mm -hmm. I won't steal Pastor Steve's thunder on that one. This series in 1 Peter was very appropriate for Christians in Peter's day, And I'm sure Christians throughout church history have been strengthened and encouraged by what Peter has written. I also think there is much that we can apply to our lives as well. If you're able to follow in your Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, as we jump into today's lesson.
1: The reason for trials is this. This is one reason. God is purifying the life of His children. And he's put you in the crucible, that fireproof box of suffering, which is life, in which the processed sin comes to the surface. When it comes to the surface, because nothing like suffering brings out our sin, when it comes to the surface, it's skimmed off by God until the end result is the reflection of Jesus Christ's character in your character. That's what God wants to do for you. That's what he wants to do for me, to purify our lives. And God turns on the heat. That's why the pressure is on. That's why Swindoll says it's persevering through pressure. God turns on that intense heat so that you and I might mature, might be purified. Isn't it true? I find this out that in the midst of trials, there's a lot of sin that comes to the surface. You know what? At least with me, real attitudes have a way of expressing themselves when the pressure is on. You can do a number of things. It's very easy when the pressure is off to praise the Lord, isn't it? It's very easy to say, praise God when things are going well, but what about when trials hit? I have a tendency when trials hit me to get all annoyed and sin comes to the surface. And God really, when I have suffering and trials, God really shows me what I'm all about. Just a poor sinner saved by the grace of God. And it comes to the surface and God says, aha, you see, I knew it all along, but this trial was to purify you. I was aware of your sin, but you weren't. And it comes to the surface And when I repent and confess my sin, God skims it off and says, go back into the intense heat and I'll turn it a little hotter and we'll bring out some more sin. Because God ultimately, he's not as concerned about anything else but purifying a Christian. The ultimate purpose of God in your life is to glorify himself. And he does this by building his character into our lives. Because the only thing that glorifies God is the character of Jesus Christ in your life and in my life. Look at James chapter 1. James is a book that deals with trials, not the whole book, but chapter 1 does. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Phillips says, greet trials as friends, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. Why? That you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking in nothing. He's concerned with making you more like Jesus. It's very simple. The Christian life really isn't that complex. God's building into you character, and he does it through purifying you, through trials, through suffering, through the misunderstandings that we spoke of this morning, through the criticisms that we spoke of, through the dislike of people, through heartache, through physical affliction, through trials. We want to look at two other passages. I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. First 8 through 11. Paul says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body, the dying of Jesus, the suffering that Jesus went through. He's saying that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. In other words, We go through the suffering like Christ went through, so that Christ's life might shine through us now. Verse 11, For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. And then turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But... Through him also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation brings about, there's that word again, perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God gives us trials to purify us. That's why you greet them as friends. You want to grow in Christ? That's the only way to do it. We have brethren who love Christ but are distorted in their views of thinking there's a quick way to spirituality. There are no shortcuts to spirituality. There's no shortcuts to growth. Growth is a steady process. It's a process of falling. It's a process of being hurt. It's a process of a child walking and falling down and scraping his knee and getting up and moving on. It's a process of making mistakes, of failure. I'll never forget the time that I was in Chicago last May with Dennis Finnan, and we had the privilege of getting together with Pastor John MacArthur for breakfast. I should say he ate breakfast and we talked. And John MacArthur told us, he said, We give leaders the opportunity to fail at our church. And I don't think I will ever forget that that made such an impression on me, that leadership and the whole Christian life is one series of failures. It really is. Erwin Lutzer, and I've shared this before, a lot of this is not new to you. I do as Peter said, I stir up your remembrance. Erwin Lutzer has written a book, Failure, the Back Door to Success. You fail. And when you fail, you just move on. God purifies you. It's when you see what you really are like, that sin, that God can skim it off. So it's purifying. There's another reason for testing. It's to prove the faith of the believer. Verse 7 says, that the proof of your faith. The word proof literally means in the Greek to put someone to the test with the expectation of showing that he's worthy of being approved. It's not to fail. It's to show that he can pass the test. It was used in New Testament times, for those of you who are medical students, you'll enjoy this. It was used in New Testament times to describe the final examination all medical students had to pass before they were given the right to set up their own practices. Proof, the test, to pass it. You see the whole point? Trials put our faith to the test. And this is something that's really rich because when we are put to the test and are submissive to God and remain faithful to Him, and we're open to those great lessons he has for us, we demonstrate by our attitude and by our actions that we have genuine faith. We really belong to Christ. It's a proof that God uses to give us assurance of our faith. Listen, if I wasn't saved, when those trials hit, when I was first converted, I would have said, "fooey on the whole thing, and turned my back and walked away from the Lord. And you think that couldn't possibly happen. It can happen for those who really are not saved. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. I want to show you something that's extremely important. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is speaking in the parable of the sower. He says that there are a lot of different grounds that the seed is sown on. The seed is the word of God. And I want you to look at verse 5 and 6 and keep your your hand in your Bible because we're going to look at verse 20 and 21 also. Chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. He says, And others fell upon the rocky places, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Now look at verse 20 and 21. Now Jesus is explaining it now. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, He has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This person is not saved, but he falls away. I could explain it no better than Warren Wiersbe has explained it. And I read to you a quotation. The soil in Palestine lies on a thick layer of limestone, Where the soil is thin, the roots of germinating seed cannot go very far. As a result, the shoot springs up quickly, but there's no root system to sustain the plant. No roots means no water. When the sun comes up, the shoot is scorched and dies. This represents an emotional hearer who hears the word but does not really receive it so that it is rooted in his heart. His response is purely emotional, shallow, and temporary. Jesus was not saying that the man or woman was saved and then lost his or her salvation. He was saying that the person never had salvation to begin with. It was a shallow emotional experience that was only on the surface. Sun is good for a plant, he says, but in this case, the sun destroyed the plant. In the parable, the sun represents persecution. Persecution is good for God's child. It tests a person's faith, proves the reality of his profession, and helps him grow. But all of this is true if a person is truly born again and has spiritual roots. Just as the sun helps the plant to draw up water and nourishment from the soil, so suffering and persecution help the true believer trust the Lord and draw on his great resources. But there must be roots. And so it proves your faith. It proves whether what you have is the real McCoy, whether it's genuine. If your faith is genuine, then you'll respond in whatever way God is dealing with you in a proper way. It'll result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation, the coming of Christ. Look at verse 7. It may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the appearing. That's what the word revelation means, the appearing of Christ, only if it's genuine. Listen, if you weren't saved and you went through trials, you wouldn't come here Sunday night. You wouldn't want to hear about the word You would just say, I have enough problems without spiritual problems. Why is it that Bible schools don't let anybody in most Bible schools unless you've been saved for a year? They want to see if you've got what it takes. If you have something that's genuine. I've known of people who seem to receive the word of God and they're excited. And I rejoice when people I witness do. not everyone, most of them do not. But when people I share the gospel with come to faith in Christ. But my greatest joy, as John said, is to see them grow. And in my mind, I think, let me see you in six months. Let me see you in a year. Because there are some who receive things emotionally, and it's shallow. But time has a way of testing that. And if tonight you're struggling with assurance of salvation, if you've come through trials, you can rest on the fact that God has proven that you're saved. Now, you can have the proof of your salvation before you wait six months or a year or so just from the Word of God. But this is added proof. This is added assurance. You can have the assurance that you're saved in five minutes. You have the assurance from God's word in an instant. But what we're saying here is that God can doubly assure you, can add a proof to your salvation. We need to keep our eye on the goal. That's what he's saying. You keep your eye on the goal. The goal is the praise and the glory and the honor at the appearing of Christ. Let's look at the third point, the response to trials. How do you respond when trials come your way? Verse 8 and 9. There's an improper way to respond to trials. The improper way is to lift up your hand and say, God, I defy you. You're not going to do this to me. Nobody ever told me that it's going to be this tough. You see, when we share the gospel, we need to share with people that it's discipleship. There's the cost involved. Salvation is free, but it's not cheap. As Vance Habner says, it costs God his son, it costs the son his life, and it'll cost you everything if you mean business with Christ. There's an improper way to respond. You can respond by running away from a difficult situation that God has put you in. Let me discourage you about that. Don't run, because God has a way of sending more trials your way. God has a way. If you reject the first trial, he'll give you something that's more difficult. You cannot get away from the Lord when he wants to perfect your life. I have found in my life there are some people that all of us have personality conflicts with. And there's a type of personality that I have a conflict with. And because I never resolved it years back, God keeps sending me people just like this. Only they seem to get tougher. I wish I had responded to the first one God sent my way. But you laugh because you know that's true with you. If you're a young person or you're an older person and you never got along with your mom or dad, as sure as I'm standing here, God is going to send you employers who are just like your mom or dad. Because you never learned to resolve those conflicts. You ran from a situation. Instead of meeting it head on and letting God deal with you, instead of reacting, you should have acted upon the principles of God's word. I know because I go through things like that, and it's so easy to run. But I tell you, you run from God, and he'll send more severe persecution. He'll send chastisement to you. He'll send correction upon you. So don't run. It's a lot easier just to cooperate with God immediately. There are proper ways to respond to trials. The recipients of Peter's letter responded properly. Look at verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. The people that Peter was writing to never saw the Lord Jesus Christ. They had only heard about him from the apostles, from those the apostles had won to Christ. They had never seen him, but Peter says in the midst of suffering, you love him. Now that's strange, isn't it? How do you love somebody who sends trials your way or who lets you go through trials? Very simply, this, you get the perspective, God sends it because he does love you. If God goes through all that trouble to send me a trial, he must love me. If he didn't love me, I wouldn't be worth it. And God would say, I'm not even going to take the time to work this all out. God loves you, and that's why he sends you trials. His love, his correction, his chastisement are an expression of his love. And so Peter says, you love him. The proper response when trials come your way is to love Christ, to love the Lord. If not, you're going to be, as God said to the Israelites, you're stiff-necked. You're a hardened people. Your heart is hard. You're not tender. Because two things happen when trials come. Either you submit to God or you grow bitter. The worst thing is to see a bitter person. Bitter because maybe God took their loved one. Maybe God took a child. Maybe God made them a cripple. And in the sense that not that God, like I said, is a killjoy, but God does it out of love because God knows what's best. You don't. Listen, Paul said, our momentary light affliction, we think that 70, 80 years is a long time. It's nothing compared to eternity. I'd rather suffer now and have the praise of God than in my life have no suffering and have no rewards, no praise. Because we're going to be in eternity. We're going to be with Christ. So we love him. There's another response. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him. The first proper response is love. The second one is faith. Christians who wrongly tell you that a lack of faith is the reason why you have trials, you can show them this verse. Because it's not a lack of faith. God wants to strengthen your faith. God sends you trials to develop your faith, not because you don't have faith, but to strengthen it. The word believe means to trust in Christ. We have to trust God when trials come. Either that or you'll become a bitter person, you'll become introspective, you'll become cynical and sarcastic, or you can simply trust God and say, I don't understand. But God, you've said it in your word that all things work together for good to them that love you. And I believe it. You can't figure it out. You're not told to figure it out. You don't have to understand. God knows And if God wants to make it plain to you why you've suffered, fine. If he doesn't, that's all right. Johnny Erickson in her book shares that for some time she just wanted to know why was she going through these trials. She came to a point where it didn't matter anymore. And it doesn't. The point is that God be glorified. I think I've shared this before that it was Charles Spurgeon who said when we cannot see God's hand, we can trust God's heart. And you can. If you're experiencing suffering tonight, maybe one of your children is giving you heartache. I don't know. Maybe you've got problems on the job. Maybe you're not feeling good yourself. Maybe you've got a friend who doesn't understand you. Maybe you're going through trials that we haven't mentioned. You can trust God's heart. You can trust him. You can exercise faith in him. Whom having not seen, you believe. You don't see him, but you believe. In order to love a person, in order to believe in a person, You really have to know about a person. Now, how do we know about Christ? Do we have pictures of him? Some people have pictures in their home, an artist's picture of the Lord Jesus. I have just the idiosyncrasy. I don't care for those things, but that's really my concern, not yours. If you want to have a picture like that, that's fine. But we have to be very careful that the picture we have in our mind of Christ is not really what an artist pictures Christ as. It's the picture that the Holy Spirit paints according to the Word of God. That's the picture we have to have. And when you have that picture, it doesn't matter that you've never seen him. Jesus said to Thomas, he said, "'Blessed are they who don't see and yet believe.'" Thomas, you've been privileged to see. But how wonderful it is when they've never seen and yet believe. Now, you can see Christ through the Word of God. He paints a perfect picture, not an artist's picture of Christ. Usually they make him look like a Gentile, and we know that's not true. Even when they make him look like a Jewish person, that's still not true. We don't know what Christ looked like. It always amazes me when I see pictures of the Lord Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes. The only Jewish person I really know with blondish hair and blue eyes is my daughter. But other than that, I really don't know too many other Jews who have that. But he says there's another response. Verse 8, You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Trials ought to bring out a radiant joy in our life. Not because it's wonderful to go through a trial, but because it's wonderful what God does in your life through a trial. Radiant joy. When you love Christ, when you trust Him, you'll be joyous, you'll be happy, regardless of the circumstances. Verse 9, obtaining is the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let me encourage you, someday it's going to be over. The trials will be gone. What does that song say? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. We properly respond to suffering. Someday, you're going to obtain the full salvation that God has for you. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for those trials that come our way. Thank you, Father, for those hard times, those times that our human nature would like to just run away. We thank you that you've given us the grace to persevere through pressure. Our Father, we thank you that you love us enough to purify our faith. And we thank you, our Father, for the message of First Peter. And our hearts go out even thinking about what those early Christians went through. And yet, in a sense, it's never been easy, never will be easy. For those who have been misinformed about the Christian life, help us to not make that same mistake as we tell others about Christ. And help us, our Father, to be a shining example of how to face trials, how to face testing. For this assembly of believers, I pray as each one is battling, and one of your servants, Joseph Parker, even said, there's a battle raging in every pew. I pray for each one here, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that you'll help them to take that grace, that manifold, multicolored grace for each of their trials. Help us as we go out this week to be a shining example of what a Christian is to be like, because we pray this in Jesus'
2: name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's Verse by Verse. One thing that really encouraged me was when Pastor Steve explained the reasons for the trials that come into our lives. They are for proof. They're to prove our faith, to prove we are worthy of being approved. Trials are not to cause failures in our lives. I don't know about you, but that really encouraged me. The other thought I had was that this proving of our faith is not for God's benefit. He already knows. It's for our benefit and encouragement. So I hope you are encouraged today. We have more great teaching coming in the next few weeks as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues to teach through 1 Peter. If you would like to hear more of Pastor Steve's teaching, please surf over to versebyverseradio.org and look for the archives tab. There you can find past messages you may have missed. Until next time, be encouraged in your faith. There is much for which you can rejoice.